Welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help you find your freedom in every aspect of your business. Captivity comes in many forms, from stale, ineffective sales and marketing tactics, to outdated technology and workflows, to teams who are performing far less than their true capabilities. On this show, you'll hear compelling conversations with your peers in the insurance industry, as well as from top-shelf professionals in related fields who are leading the charge towards what's coming next. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Those of you that are joining us on our YouTube channel, hello, and thank you for uh, seeing us there. And for those of you listening in the traditional podcast way on all of the platforms, uh, welcome as well. Uh, This is a multinational episode as I have the privilege of talking with Michael Wark. He is the CEO of Trimline and uh, Trimline.co is the website. He is a fractional CFO who works predominantly uh, in the e-commerce and digital agency space, marketing, advertising, and stuff like that. He is joining us here from the wonderful country of Australia And I'm not sure exactly where in Australia, but uh, Michael will tell us all about that. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, dialing in from Sydney, Australia, uh, a little spot called Avalon Beach up on the northern beaches here. Mm, 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 mm. Sending us jealousy your way, man. (laughs) Texas is a great place to live, but it is not what I would call pretty. Texas is not really known for its natural beauty in most of our state. Uh, Your country is, of course... uh, much better looking in most parts. <laughs> We've got a big hot middle section that no one talks about. We all live on the, the fringes of our big continent. So we do we do have yep. a slightly a section we don't advertise as much, don't worry. <laughs> Sydney and Melbourne are uh, are definitely some of the more popular places to be. So yeah, they are. but Michael, thank you for joining us, man. I love getting to talk with people that are outside of the insurance industry. And you know, when we had our little rally just before we started recording you said that you don't really have any firsthand experience in working on the independent insurance agency side of things. And I said, good, that's fantastic. Don't worry about that at all. I'm glad that you are bringing a a different perspective, something from the outside that makes you unique. I don't know how the podcast world is in Australia, but in our insurance industry uh, here in the United States, it seems like everybody and their mother, sister, aunt, and uncle all have a podcast. And uh, I heard it said one time, actually just a few days ago, it's like starting a podcast is like making a baby. It's very easy to do and not everyone should do it. <laughs> do there needs to be a license for both? Need to sit, sit I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but I thought it was hysterical. So I figured I'd share it with you today. That is great. Oh man. So what's your story, Michael Wark, from Sydney, Australia? And did I say your last name right? Is it Wark? Uh, Michael Wark, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's Irish and Scottish ancestry, so they probably said it with an accent back in the day, but yeah, Michael Wark is perfect. Okay. It sounds so much better when you say it somehow with your Australian accent. <laughs> but, uh, so what's your story, man? Uh, how did you get to this point in your career? What does life look like for you right now? I'd love to hear your backstory and then jump into some of the work you're doing right now with Trimline. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I started 
as an auditor at Ernst & Young here in Sydney and, you know, did business accounting at, at university and started down that path, that career and got my chartered accountancy qualification there. But I didn't quite enjoy that style of work. And I, I still kind of, after I left there, worked in bigger businesses for, for probably a decade in, in finance teams, you know, both here and, and in London. But close to 10 years ago, I launched into the small business world and that gave me a huge amount of purpose and it gave me a lot more freedom over my time. I joined a business that was remote first way before the pandemic and that gave me the ability to work from anywhere and that kind of freedom over my location and schedule really appealed to me at that, at that stage. And also the fact that I could like work directly with founders one-to-one gave me a much bigger sense of purpose and satisfaction with what I was doing. I was actually felt like I was helping people and helping them understand their numbers and helping them drive their business and improve their family and, you know, employ people in their community. So I've started in the small business world probably, yeah, close to eight, nine years ago and haven't looked back. First in kind of a bookkeeping business called Bee Ninjas. And then I launched my own advisory business about four years ago. And yeah, I've been really, really enjoying it. So I plug in as a, a virtual CFO to businesses and basically trying to help them like look at their business, how big corporates look at their business, looking at the trends, looking at the ratios, giving them that kind of game of business knowledge that a lot of founders who who launch their own shop, they're good at the thing they do. They're good, they're a good technician or they're a good salesperson, but they don't know all those other things that they need to know in order to run a successful business, which is why businesses fail so often because no one you don't know what you don't know and people launch and I'm there to tell them what they don't know so they can hopefully get through that hump and and build a sustainable business it makes a lot of sense we we've talked a lot on this podcast about the gap between being a good insurance professional mm. and being a good business owner and a lot of times th- those two things are very different from each other now some people are good at both the vast majority of folks that have insurance agent on their business card aren't very good at running a business. So what, what you just said probably appeals to a lot of people. I would imagine, and I don't have data to support this, most people that are working in the insurance industry have never considered the concept of hiring a virtual or fractional CFO. So what's a, what sort of work, just for someone who's not familiar with the idea of a virtual or fractional CFO, what does that job description look like? When you engage with someone, what are the sorts of things that you find yourself doing uh, with them and, and their executive team and their company? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's a bit of a new term. You know, previously you'd probably be called an accountant or a CFO just in a bigger business. I like to look at it as a triangle of, of three different roles that your business could have. There's your tax accountant who does your compliance that keeps you up to date with your taxes, keeps you know the tax authorities off your back. You've got a bookkeeper who would be processing your transactions, ideally probably in your QuickBooks file or in your accounting software, so keeping your, your numbers up to date in there. And then the virtual CFO or fractional CFO will plug in only for a fraction of the time temporarily because obviously a full wage for someone at this level of experience is very expensive. But it's the ability for small businesses to access that level of knowledge at a, a smaller kind of time period and to think strategically, think about forward planning, think about where the business is going and having those higher level kind of C-suite conversations with someone and a huge benefit of I think what I do and what most fractional virtual CFOs do is give the founder a sounding board outside 
their little organization outside of talking to employees because there's a lot of things you can't talk about with your employees. If you guys are having a couple of down months, you can't walk out into the office and be like, guys, I'm stressed. I don't know where the next, how we're going to make this payroll. Those kind of conversations and that kind of planning and strategy and forward focus comes with those kind of conversations. No, that makes sense. And I have been working with a virtual CFO for two and a half years now, and it's been an absolutely incredible situation for us. So I've experienced firsthand the value uh, of what you're talking about. You made an ebook available to me, and I'm happy to put that in the show notes of this. Uh, did you put that information on the form you filled out for the episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll flick it to you after. I've got a link I can share with the audience Sweet. for sure. No, it's all good. Anything that you put on that form, we're going to put in the show notes of your episode. So for those of you who are l- listening to this, if you're on YouTube, we'll make sure that we put the same links in the YouTube description of the video. And if you're listening on a podcast platform like Spotify or Apple or whatever, just grab that link in the show notes and you can see the ebook that we're talking about because it was 30 something pages long and chock full of really good information. It was not a salesy, pitchy ebook at all. I thought it was fantastic. Very well made there. So in that ebook, you talk about life stages of companies and the valley of death and at certain points where you know, you reach a plateau and it becomes very difficult to move beyond into the next phase of your business. I'd love to have you just talk about that for a few minutes and what you have seen as some of the key challenges of going from a solopreneur, a, a single business owner, into the, the rest of the life stages of a business to a large public enterprise and you know, private equity backed and all those really big companies mm. down into most of the folks that are listening to this podcast, which are family owned businesses, typically, you know, a couple of million dollars in revenue or less. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in that ebook, I've got a, a fantastic little graph on the valleys of death and the percentage chance of survival to the next level. And only around 4% ever make it to above a million dollars in revenue and less than 1% ever make it to above $10 million. So there's a huge drop off on that kind of growth curve, which is why I've made that ebook to make it super tactical, 100% problems I've seen and the key challenges to help you solve them as well. I think the core of it is people need different skills at the different stages of growth of business level. And unless the founder keeps leveling up their skills and knowledge and experience on that growth journey, the founder will end up being the bottleneck at some stage and be holding that business back. So at the early stages, I guess the founder is wearing a lot of hats. They're, they're covering a lot of bases and maybe they're doing the selling, maybe some of the delivering and they've got fairly low overheads because they haven't built a team yet. So things are okay. And you could probably run a business to half a mil doing that, but you'll quite possibly burn yourself out eventually trying to, trying to do it all yep. yourself. And that's probably the first natural kind of ceiling you'll start butting up against where your time is limited. There's a precious resource, so you you can't do it all. But the skill set to go to the next level is like building a team, hiring a team, motivating a team, and stepping away and letting them do great work. And that's not often a skill set a lot of people naturally have. So that's a skill set a lot of people have to develop and build. And if they do have that, there's a whole bunch of other skills of business that you need to be kind of your toolkit you need to be building along the way. Like you said, with your virtual CFO, you need to have an idea of the numbers. You need to have an idea of operations. 
of HR, of legal, IT, all these other aspects of business that like become important at various stages on that journey. So for me, it's, it's that constant evolution of the founder knowing what they need to work on and, and how to do it and, and leveling up their kind of approach. And all the way along, you also need to be making enough sales, delivering enough work and keeping enough cash in the bank to stay in the game. Because if you run out of cash at any stage, it's game over. You're out of business. So there's a lot of plates you've got to keep spinning. A lot of plates you've got to keep spinning. That is very true. When you look at a solopreneur, someone who is operating on their own, where they don't wear lots of hats, they wear all of the hats. What, in, in your opinion, in your practice, is the most important thing for them to offload first? When someone says, hey, I want to hire a, a virtual assistant, a remote team member, et cetera, what is the most important thing for them to delegate out to someone else as they're looking to grow and get out of that solopreneur category? We will map out what the current processes are in their business, probably from the client's perspective, how a client flows through their business and gets a successful outcome. And anything that the founder does not directly need to be involved in or we, we can outsource, that can a process can be written for it and someone else can successfully do it, then we immediately start there. Some of the common kind of finance-related stuff would be your bookkeeping. Those kind of things are very natural fit to be done by someone else. But I always advocate for founders to have a knowledge of their business, have a knowledge of their business numbers. You can't abdicate from just because you're not good at numbers, you have still have to understand them at a core level. Otherwise, you won't be successful in business. The other areas, I think probably, you know, the, the common ones that VAs help with that I see, scheduling, those kind of kind of back of house, almost like your, you know, your, your office assistant type roles. Those are often outsourced as well. And also some tasks in sales and marketing. So th those are the most common ones. The hardest ones to build people out of, I've seen, are probably sales and marketing. If you're the face, if you're good and you know your product and you can deliver those sales pitches with conviction, that's often the hardest thing to build founders out of. And those are often the things that take a bit more time. Hmm. No, I've definitely seen that in our practice here at RiskWell. And it's very common uh, in, in the insurance industry for a lot of the sales and marketing to be driven by the founder, by someone who is in an executive or a highly placed role until you get out of those first couple of growth stages where you start to release control over the look and feel of things and accept the fact that some people will do things differently than you do, but that's okay, that they're going to have their own spin. How do you help founders release control? Because I would think that it's a very important step in the process to have a balance of awareness without necessarily being the one who's making something happen because if the founder has to be involved for it to be done correctly then obviously scale is going to be significantly diminished yeah yeah it is it is and an, an element of what i do is obviously the numbers but an element of what i do is almost business therapy with with founders as well and trying yep. to trying to show them that things won't go to hell in a handbasket if that process breaks briefly we can fix that and I always look at risk mitigation and how can we de-risk this when we're first getting started with maybe handing that piece of work off. Maybe it's hiring that first full-time employee and it's a bit scary. How can we de-risk it? They're on a three to six month probation. If it doesn't work out, you can still release them back into the market and you're not going to get sued. Like There is ways around kind of 
reducing that anxiety in the founder's head. But it, it depends on the founder as well. Some are more naturally micromanagers and some naturally find it harder to release the grip on things. So often our business is like our baby and there's a real emotional connection to it. And it's, it's often intrinsically linked to our personal brand and any kind of mistake we think impacts us as a person. So trying to delink it and starting to think more like a CEO and less like a founder working in your business and having some separation from that and realize that it's just a process. It's not you. And if it breaks, we can fix it. If that team member sucks, we can replace them. And understanding that the cycle of business will continue regardless. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. One of the things that we have found to be very difficult at RiskWell, and for me personally, has, has been part of my journey this year, I thought that I was in a spot where I was able to step out of being the primary revenue driver for the office and to assume more of a CEO type of role where I wasn't directly involved in day-to-day -day sales. And frankly, that was a complete disaster. Our new business generation fell off significantly over the course of months and it became very clear that I had miscalculated, that I was in a situation where we were missing our sales targets repeatedly and it was my fault. It was completely my fault as the founder because I made a conscious decision to step out of being the primary revenue driver and I started doing other things like taking meetings and you know taking speaking engagements and building our brand and our visibility and working on other things but then the business slows down and it doesn't happen the way that it's supposed to. When you're working with a founder or co-founder who is in that primary revenue driver position and they don't necessarily want to be for the sake of scale and, and profitable growth of the business, what are some things that you found to be successful in helping that person transition out other than just hiring a rock star salesperson and paying them a bunch of money? <laughs> yeah, look, I've seen that option tried and, and actually not work and then you've lost yep. 150K a year, 200K a year for this person and, and actually you're worse than what you were before. So that rock star salesperson often isn't the, the magic bullet either and yep. this, is, this is a really hard challenge. So I'm not going to pretend like I have a, a magic wand here. It is that one of the hardest challenges for people to build themselves out of that role. How I've seen it done successfully is a really slow transition and training up someone often from within who understands your business and your products really well and is, is motivated, probably has naturally a bit of a gift that you, you've spotted and you can kind of take under your wing and you train them by letting them sit in on meetings, watching recordings, sitting in, letting them run it and actually training them the slow, hard way to, to bring them up to speed. 
before they start doing it themselves. I've never seen people be able to kind of mic drop and let someone else pick it up and it, it works successfully. It's, it's a really slow transition. The ones that I've seen happen, uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky. And yeah, I don't, I, honestly, I don't have a magic bullet there because that rockstar salesperson, it's a poison chalice at times as well. Sometimes you find a great person, but often the people who know they're good want to be paid really well for that role. And then my challenge as a, as a virtual CFO is, can we afford that person? How's your profitability looking? How's your pipeline looking? Can we commit to that yep. thousands of dollars a month in for the next 12 months? Like, is, is this going to work? And are they as good as they should be for that much? And do they come in, do they deliver, or are they a very, very highly paid paperweight? The, the, the underlying subtext here with a lot of the roles and with a lot of the founders micromanaging in all areas is that employees don't have the same skin in the game as the founder does. The employees don't get a quarterly dividend or an annual dividend and they, they don't have it in their DNA that, to make this thing succeed. Sometimes they're just there for a paycheck and to have that kind of passion and that kind of motivation takes a really strong culture within the organisation, which is often on the founder to build. But it's, it's hard. That's a really hard thing to make people as excited about your business as you are as the founder, like transferring that kind of excitement and passion that you can speak with on sales calls. It's, it's a really hard thing to do. No, it, it is. And it, that they don't care as much as you do thing, I think really comes back to the center of the issue is you know, having that homegrown talent kind of alleviate some of that because if someone's been there for a while if they have made the brand their own if they are bought in mentally and emotionally then they may not have equity in the company maybe they do depending on your compensation plan yeah but they sure are going to take it a lot more personally than someone who is just motivated by a paycheck yes yeah absolutely i've i've seen disaster scenarios where the middle management hire wasn't a good cultural fit and all the other A players on the up in that team were disheartened and wanted to leave because they made this really terrible hire at the managerial position. And conversely, I've seen fantastic stories where the person was within the organization and got a chance to step up and was super motivated to do that. And, you know, there is other ways to motivate your team. You know, there's, there's profit share programs. Some people think about offering kind of phantom equity to certain really key players in their businesses. So there is creative solutions to getting people to buy in and, and making them feel like they're, they're part of it. So in your ebook here, and I, I'm, I'm looking through this, you know, you drawing from uh, right off the, off the pages here, you know, year one stage launch, year two stage growth, year three stage scale, and then establish an exit. Obviously there's plenty of folks that aren't even remotely close to exiting in year five. I know that that's just very general terms, obviously. What are some of the activities that you see where someone is making the move from one stage to another? If someone wants to move from what you call the launch phase, you know, stage one, and they're trying to move into the growth stage, what are some of the activities that they need to be mindful of to help propel that transition into the upcoming stage? From that initial launch to growth, I think the key thing that founders need to be looking at is A, a healthy pipeline. Obviously, sales revenue is the oxygen of any business. So that needs to be taken care of. But, but taking that aside for a second, actually understanding your true business model. And often people 
in that launch stage, maybe treating their business a little bit like a piggy bank. They might be running personal items through the business. They may not be getting regular financials and actually understand their financials. So just giving them a core understanding of what their business model is, what their real margins are, if we strip out all of the personal expenses, if we put in a market-based wage for the founder, like what's it look like? And, and having some clarity over that will help you plan to the next stage. I see it a lot. People who have often got to year two in this model, obviously those timelines are compressed. Not everyone exits in five. That's, that's a very compressed timeline. But they've, they've grown to that kind of from launch to growth and they're kind of spinning their wheels. There is no money. Their profitability sucks. It's because they didn't understand their business model to start with and they've just tried to solve all their problems by selling more but it's actually scaled mm-hmm. their problems. They've created a bigger problem for themselves rather than getting a true understanding of what their business model is, what their true margins are, fixing that if they need to before they start that journey. Hmm. One of the things I, I really saw was interesting in your ebook was talking about how the founder gets trapped sometimes. When that happens, what, what sort of things is the founder doing that they should not be doing? How does the founder get trapped? And what are some warning signs, some red lights that should be going off saying, you might be trapped, you might not be doing the right activities in your business? Profitability challenges, the inability to spend any time working on your business from a strategic perspective. You're pulled in so many different directions. You're putting out fires constantly and you actually have no space from your business to think about it as a founder, as a CEO. And you're too busy in the doing but you also can't afford to make a hire to build yourself out of it. And for me, that screams, you've got a business model, you've got a profitability problem. You're often probably underpricing your product. And that is a really common thing, especially when you just launch a business. If you don't have a brand, you try and be competitive in the price area, which naturally means you don't have good enough margins to maybe build yourself out. So that, that for me is probably the key trap as well as the micromanaging, as well as the inability to want to pull yourself out because you think you can do everything the best. Mm. Yeah, and in an industry like insurance where we don't control the pricing of the individual products, we control the adjustments, the deductibles, the coverage options and whatnot. So yeah. uh, I think the, the insurance version of that would simply be selling the cheapest option you have from the insurance carrier rather than selling value and selling a fully featured program that does exactly what it's supposed to do, doesn't cut a bunch of corners elsewhere. So insurance is a weird industry, man. It, the, the things that we have to deal with as insurance agency owners and sales professionals is uh, there's a lot there that most industries simply don't have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of regulation. Yeah. And a lot of stakeholders in the value chain from initial, you know, product holder, like the insurance carrier, like for in, in Australia, QBE is one of your largest insurance companies. They are the, the one who writes the policy. And then in between them and their customers, several layers of a value chain. It's a lot of industries don't have that. Yeah. They don't have the complexity. So yeah, the, I, and I recognize you're coming in from out of the industry. So I don't mean in any way to talk down to you. I'm just trying to translate what you just said into the way that it is in the insurance industry. For sure. For sure. And I know QBE well. They sponsor my, my local footy team, the Sydney Swans, an AFL team here. So I know, QBE, oh, nice. I know QBE very well. Don't worry. Okay. Good deal. 
the, yeah, and, and, and maybe, you said footy. You call us the footy team? Is, uh, that, is yeah, that soccer we can or talk, rugby? What? Yeah, it's very confusing, isn't it? It's a very weird sport called Australian football. If you Google it, you'll be completely confused. It's called AFL. It's, it's really confusing. It's not rugby. It's, it's our own weird, unique version of it. It'll be hmm. too big of a rabbit hole here, but your audience can Google AFL Australia and, and have a look at a, a grand final to get a feel for it. Okay. The one now, thing, maybe- sorry, that's uh, that was I, you said a word that I wasn't familiar with. It was like, was that Australian slang? Yeah, uh, yeah. but no, no, it's okay. Awesome. <laughs> Carry on. Sorry. The maybe taking it back to first principles in terms of like, because every business model has a lot of similarities, and I've seen all of them as an accountant. So, although there is complexities within the value chain in the insurance industry, some of the core key challenges still resonate across all industries, whether you're a service based, product based, yep. you know whatever kind of model you're running. And yep. I, I think probably that the founder trapped thing to go back to your question might be profitability, but a lot of it is moving from that half a mil to one mil is the founder has a lot of direct reports. So even if you built a team and you have the margins, you don't have a management layer underneath you yet. So you're answering whenever there's a fire that comes up across any department, you're the one that's dragged into it. And so the founder feeling like they can't work on the business is because in that initial growth stage, you're answering a lot of questions to a lot of people in a lot of areas. And, and when you can build yourself out and have a, a managed team of managers underneath you to help manage those departments, that's when you get a bit of clear air. You don't get pulled into everything as much. So having too many direct reports is often why people can't build themselves out of it just yet. Makes a lot of sense, man. No, I love it. And I, I promised you uh, an episode runtime of 35 or 40 minutes. And uh, we're getting about there. Uh, when you, I want to give you a, an opportunity to land the plane with whatever thoughts you want to bring to the audience and in uh, your expertise in in helping founders and and co-founders really take that next step. Any thoughts you have that would be relevant to as kind of final thoughts and summary as we end the episode? Yeah, definitely. This is a goal setting session I do. So with my US based agency clients, we're doing it at the moment because we're coming into the end of the year, starting to think about the year ahead. Planning for the future doesn't have to be super complex and it doesn't have to be super time consuming. So just think about what your one, your three-year, your five-year plan might look like. Have a look at what those numbers, those goals are that you want and just work backwards from there. Try and reverse engineer what that future looks like. Spend an hour saying, if I'm a $5 million business, if I'm a $10 million business, what budget does that give me for my team? How big is that team? What does that org chart look like? What do I like doing? And try and visualize what that future looks like because it'll give you a very clear plan for what you're building towards and what often the value that I bring is actually just helping a founder have that space to think about what the next stage is and then you can start planning for it. Often we get too busy just making the next month's sales targets and not stepping back and having a bit of space from your business. And not everyone wants to be a $10 million business. Not everyone wants to exit to a PE firm. Maybe some people are happy running, you know, a mid-level shop, running it profitably, having some freedom in their life. But just spending a little bit of time, especially around this time of year, when you're thinking about the year ahead, of, of what that looks like. Very high level. And it, you, you'll be surprised the clarity that gives you with your decision making for the coming year. Love it. Now, that's, uh, this sort of conversation really aligns itself with the RevOps stuff we've talked about before, you know, breaking it down into uh, those four buckets, you know, with the sales, marketing, operations, and back office, all four buckets 
just going together perfectly. A little bit of planning goes a long way, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and the one thing I just wanted to add to that is be honest with yourself about what you enjoy in your business too. Like you can create a life, any life you want, but be honest about what you enjoy and make sure you can build time to focus on that and not and, and hire for all those other things. Often I feel founders hold on to these roles because they think they should be doing them, but actually they might just enjoy doing some, some other roles in the business. So kind of try and plan it around what you enjoy to keep you excited about your business because I, yep. I've, I've dealt with founders on the opposite side who are burnt out doing things they don't like. It's become, a, a, you know, they've built themselves a prison. So you try and have that perspective as well. Love it. Now, what's the best way for someone to engage with you, Michael? Is a, a social media platform that you really are fond of or is it just good old-fashioned email and visiting your website at trimline.co? Uh, I post uh, videos weekly on LinkedIn. So uh, Michael Walk, W-A-R-K. So you can find me there. I post pretty, um, yeah, try and post about once a week of a helpful video. Otherwise, yeah, visit trimline.co and you can hit me up and we can have a conversation. Yeah, and be sure to check out the ebook, folks. It really is a, a great read. It, it's easy. It's high level. There's definitely value and some digestible action items in there. I found it to be really engaging. So uh, he is Michael Wark, the founder of Trimline, which is a, a consultancy based in the great country of Australia. And uh, this has been another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks as always for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to the show and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Those subs and reviews are actually super important for our reach to new listeners. Get your copy of my book, Leaving Captivity, on Amazon or Audible for the audiobook version. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your thoughts, questions, ideas, and general feedback to us at podcast at jamesjenkins.com. Agency Freedom is produced and distributed by podsquad.fm. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Make it a great day, boys and girls. Until next time. Let's go.